This podcast is brought to you by Hello Future. Do you want to drive innovation in your organization, futurize your enterprise, expand your patent portfolio, create amazing new profitable products and services, or effectively project manage to market? Then contact us today, hellofuture.co, and get started. Why listen to the past when you can listen to the future? Welcome to the Think Future podcast, broadcasting from deep in the heart of Silicon Valley, California. We focus on innovation, startups, and the future, not necessarily those and not necessarily in that order. Here's your host. Hey, Scott. Hi, how you doing? Oops, good, how are go. you? Good, good. Let's adjust that just a little bit. There we nice go. Nice to see you. Yeah, good to see you too. How are things? Uh, things are going well for me. Actually, I don't know if you noticed the new headset, but I think those were your recommendations from the last time we chatted. Oh yeah, they look exactly <laughs> like my other headset. <laughs> well, thanks. I'm glad. I'm glad you. Someone's listening to my recommendations. That's good. That's good to know. Although I think I feel like it goes with the, this uh, aerial theme I have in my background. So oh I yeah, feel like absolutely. I'm, you're like a. <laughs> like a radio guy on the on the on the, on the bomber or whatever that is back you <laughs> back there. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So it's it's good to have you on the show. So uh, why don't Thanks we just jump me. right into it? Uh, so tell me a little bit about yourself and your organization and what you're passionate about. Sure. Uh, so uh, Scott Summers, I'm currently the vice president of insights and innovations for SureTape Technologies. By, and- by the way, I love your name. You sound just like a, a superhero. Oh, <laughs> I, I know you like the alter ego of Cyclops or something like that's, that. That's exactly what it is. If anyone's an X-Man fan out there, but uh, I promise I don't have another set of glasses. This is the only one I have. So yeah, <laughs> it's uh, no, no, uh, no mutant superpowers for me. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but I do come with the power of duct tape and yeah, that yeah. leads me into uh, my shirt tape story. So, uh, so shirt tape, we're one of the largest manufacturers of uh, pressure sensitive adhesive or tape on a, on a global basis. We operate all over the world. Uh, and we have brands here in the United States that most of the listeners would be uh, familiar with, such as our Frog Tape Painters Tape, uh, our Duck Brand Duck Tapes, uh, T-Rex Repair Tapes, etc. cetera. Um, so a, a whole portfolio of them. And uh, it's, it's been, I've actually worked with the company now for 20 years. And I've been in various roles from uh, product marketing, kind of going from the marketing side into uh, the sales side, helping build out our e-commerce business, and then uh, have been in this role for the last uh, year and a half now, uh, just working on uh, market research, insights, and new product uh, innovations with a, with a new team. So uh, it's been a great journey for me here. A little background for me prior to this, um, I came out of the consulting world doing strategy process and uh, technology consulting for retailers um, and did that for a number of years, everything from Fortune 500 companies to dot-com startups. And, uh, you know, I, my, my daughter was born the year that 9-11 happened and making a decision to get into industry and tra- uh, transitioning out of the 
the consulting lifestyle, being on the road all the time, it felt like a good thing for me to do. And who knew 20 years from uh, 20 years later, I'd still be with the same company, just having a total blast. Um, but prior, I, prior to that, I, I had my MBA from Babson College in Boston uh, in entrepreneurship. So uh, I, to me, there's a, a heavy correlation between the role of marketing and entrepreneurship. And that really, at the end of the day, it's all about opportunity identification and then being able to rally the resources together to take advantage of that opportunity. So whether you do that on your own external and a true entrepreneurial function or entrepreneurship, whether you're doing it within a company, still a lot of those same skill sets uh, kind of come together. So uh, I've really enjoyed that. Um, I, will, uh, I will say that uh, over the 20 years, just to come a little bit current, uh, over the 20 years, really seen the a, a true change in the dynamic of the market for our products, our core flagship item duct tape. Um, and it's one of the things I'm passionate about is really being able to find ways to take products that, um, that might have a commodity angle to them and decommoditize them. And there's lots of different ways you can do that through brands, through finding new markets and new end uses for these products to new pools of, of customers. Um, but I, I really, uh, I'm really passionate about telling this story of our adventure of duct tape and, and translating that into other opportunities for our company and helping people see that in the opportunities that exist within their own companies. Um, so that's that's uh, something that I think would be uh, worthwhile talking today uh, to your listeners about. That sounds great. So is was duct tape uh, iconic before you started, or did you make it iconic? Was that was that you? Was no, that all I can't. You? I I can't take credit for that. No. Uh, and and first, uh, you raise a good point. First, let me say that. Our, our company is heavily team-based and I just get to be here talking today, taking credit for the work of a whole lot of people within our four walls that really made this happen. So uh, when I say, if I say I, I really mean we, um, there's, there's a ton of unnamed people who just get all the credit for this really. Um, so uh, a quick background about duct tape itself. It was actually created by the Permacell division of Johnson and Johnson back in the World War II era, and it was a uh, an adhesive tape that was used to seal the ammunition cases that were being shipped off to Europe. And what would happen is, uh, at least the stories I was told, is you know people would be in the airplanes or on their jeeps, or they would be taking these uh, the tape off the ammunition cases. And in that environment, you had to be really um, kind of, uh, what's the word, industrious. And they would use the tape to repair the Jeep, to repair the planes, to repair their boots, etc. Now that original tape was uh, kind of army green. And uh, what happened was after the war, when everybody came home and during the housing boom of the 1950s, they were commercializing a lot of these uh, military technologies and tape wasn't excluded from that. So it took on the silver color that people know it today and they started using the tape to seam the ductwork in the houses of during that housing boom time. And hence duct tape uh, was put into everybody's vernacular. Oh, um, so is that is that why it's that silver color? Because it's it was for ducts. It basically. was originally for the ducts work. Yeah. The duct oh, okay. work in your house. D-U-C-T. Right, right, um, right. And 
duct tape, D-U-C-K, is actually the brand. So if I was to be really specific, it's duck brand duct tape. Uh, <laughs> but that's too hard to say, so I'll just say duct tape. Uh, yeah. And, and one of the... But that just, just reinforces the brand too, right? Because yes. everybody, everybody calls it duct tape because it's too hard to say duct tape too often, Correct. right? So it it's sl slides right in. I love it. So uh, something that was really fun was that one of the, the entrepreneurial founder of our company here in Cleveland, um, the original Manco business was a small Cleveland industrial company. They had, I don't know, it was like six or $700,000 in sales. And the company uh, grew, that was in 1971, I believe. Um, and the, yeah, 71. And the company uh, grew to over $200 million in sales by the end of the 90s and wow. then got acquired by a German company called Henkel out of Dusseldorf. Uh, and then in uh, 2009, Henkel sold this to Short Tape Technologies, which was our biggest supplier at that time of tapes. And so now we're all vertically integrated. The plants are ours. We're nice. making the tapes and, and doing more of the marketing. But Jack Kale, the founder, of Manco really had a, a brilliant idea to trademark the brand Duck, D-U-C-K, in the early 1980s. And we we're really the first to really retail package the tape in that way and brand it in that way um, and sold it through the, the mass retailers that you would know out there. Uh, and so it took it took kind of took advantage of that the phonetical uh, how phonetically identical duck and duct are for most people. So it, it's kind of a reverse Q-tip story uh, in that uh, we just own the brand and people associate our brand strongly with the generic product now. Mm -hmm. um, so very cool. I, very cool. Yeah. So when I when I started with the company in 2001, something I always loved, I'd get on an airplane to go somewhere and people be like, oh, what do you do? I'd say, I work for the duct tape company. And they would instantly stop me. And they would say, oh, my God, my dad fixes everything with that stuff, you know. And they'd start telling me their duct tape story, which I, I love. You know, the one thing they love more than our product is telling their story. And I heard countless amazing stories of how, you know, how somebody saved the day with a roll yeah. of tape, whether it was the family vacation, fix the RV, or, you know, even, even older stories. It's just really great to hear all these different stories of how duct tape saved the day. And yeah, uh, you don't even have to ask for them. They just come at you. Right. Oh, there's they, just they, so many people have so many good experiences with duct tape. Oh, it's, it's just amazing. It's one of those things that you can pull out, doesn't require instructions, and you can pretty much use your own ingenuity and figure out how to make something work with the tape. Um, yeah. And it's, it's, it's really, truly, you know, we, the, the current vernacular is to call it the makers community, right? The people mm -hmm, who are mm -hmm. those, uh, the makers and the, and the tinkerers. Uh, but man, it, just to see the things that people have done with the tape are actually absolutely incredible. And what started to happen, we saw a number of letters come to the company in the 90s from what I affectionately call the, the blue haired art kid in the corner, um, <laughs> who was more that creative type. Uh, you know, he made a duct tape jacket to wear to school to kind of say, you know, stick it to the principal kind of, deal. No, no pun, in, no pun intended. Um, but that kind of irreverence attitude, but the creative nature of it. And so what we saw happen was with the evolution of the iPhone being released in 2007, everybody wanted to be that creative person. Everybody was trying to be the blue haired art kid in the corner, the Starbucks barista creative type, um, yeah. because they now had this new tool to take pictures and share and social media started to evolve at that point. 
And yeah. so we saw this giant online community uh, start to become created. And on our Facebook page, we quickly amassed nearly 6 million fans on our social media area. Wow. Fantastic. And, uh, yeah. We were, we were very well, you, early You guys already on. had an audience, right? You just needed, it's almost like you just needed another channel to channel the, the audience. It's correct. Well, and part of it was that this group, this younger group of these creative types, they were, they were teens to tweens. Um, we had been talking to that group uh, just because there was an anchor point with the creative type on our product. Um, and we had started a contest in 2001 called Stuck at Prom. Mm -hmm. And we, it kind of started as a <laughs> grassroots marketing campaign. And we were, we were uh, challenging kids to go to their high school proms in outfits made out of duct tape. Nice. And if you, go to, if you go to our website, if you go to um, duckbrand.com, you can see a section for the Stuck at Prom contest. I promise you, you will be blown away at the quality and caliber and craftsmanship of these outfits. Um, and it's not what you would think. You might picture in your head someone wearing like a green tape dress. Uh, it's, or excuse me, a gray tape dress. It's, it's not. Uh, it's, it's just incredibly creative. Well, plus you have but all the, these different colors now, right? It's not just gray. It's not just silver anymore. It's right. There's, well, there's part so of much that to was, it. Part of that was to promote the fact that duct tape was available in colors that weren't just silver. Mm -hmm. um, and, it, you know, you get all the versatility in array of colors. And so this, this, uh, this promotion for us, our Stuck at Prom contest, it was one of the few non-athletic, academic, or music-based scholarships that was available. So we had a lot of art students that would participate in it, and we got a ton of publicity off of it. If I was to tell you that that program generated over a billion, yes, with a B, media impressions wow. in the first decade of its existence, um, <laughs> it was well worth the scholarship money. Uh, we were giving away and it was fantastic. Um, it was kind of unique too, because the, the, the couple, each person would get $5,000 and we would donate uh, an additional 5,000 to the schools back in the day, because it was a way to get the schools to accept the kids that they, it wasn't a joke. They weren't showing up to do something um, yeah. offensive to prom, but it was really a great opportunity yeah. for the school too. So I can imagine um, some of the more straight laced schools wouldn't have been too happy with something like that. No. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, but, but, but the participation's grown and grown throughout the years. Uh, you know, last year was our 20 or it's our 20th anniversary of the contest. It's just incredible. And the way it's changed and the number of participants each year, um, it's, it's just, it's really neat to see how it's been embraced. Now I started to mention in, in that, uh, 2007, eight period when social media really started to anchor in among that, that teen and tween group we saw that there was a growing opportunity for us to really create some more products that uh, would appeal to that demographic. And we had created some new printing technology that allowed us to do uh, a printed version of the duct tape. So we started to evolve um, things like uh, a tie-dye print mm -hmm. or a, a fashionable pattern and uh, put those out in the market. And they really differentiated us from all the other traditional uh, products that were out there because we could just do these things that were really cool. And when we married that to the power of our social media and put all an array of designs out and then asked the community, hey, which one of these do you want to see? They would force rank them. And all we really did was we're smart enough to listen to them and give them back the designs that they had selected. Yeah. Um, it was really incredible. Now, from a business perspective, one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about this is that I believe that margin lives in emotion. 
Mm. that one of the ways you can decommoditize your item is find those emotional anchors and the things that people love about your products and build upon those, make it an experience because they stop asking the question, what's it cost? And start asking the question, what do I have to give up to get it? Right. And because there's, there's a value and emotional value attached to it. So, um, you know, one of the things, one of the early challenges as an innovator within our company is how do you reframe people who have been looking at the product from a hardware perspective for decades and get them to understand that, you know, a 12-year-old girl who's shopping at a mass retailer or maybe an art store isn't looking for 60 yards, which was the traditional silver tape, um, they only wanted a little bit of it, but they were willing to pay the same as the 60 yards because yeah. it wasn't about the utility value. It was about the pattern that was on it and the emotional value of the pattern yeah. or the exclusivity of them having the new latest, greatest pattern. Yeah. Well, how did so you go from, how did you go from like, from my original thinking of duct tape, is it, you know, it's just something dad used to fix stuff with, right? How did you go from the, are you going to tell us like how you went from the how did dad's stuff that dad's fixed to what the kids think is cool? Yeah. So um, I started to mention that during, during the nineties, we were getting letters from the art kids that were wearing the duct tape jackets and starting to make things out of duct tape. They were using it as a crafting medium, um, mm. as a form of self-expression. So when, when our society changed a little bit with that evolution of the iPhone in 2007, 2008, kids were looking for things to associate themselves with that creative um, archetype. And duct tape was one of those genuine cultural drivers of that creative archetype. So we started to formalize that program by putting uh, instructions on how to make a duct tape wallet or how to make a duct tape flower out there. And in early social media, some of those projects were propagated by other social media users. Um, and the ever wonderful debate that we would see online between the spelling of the product D-U-C-K versus D-U-C-T, right? It was, it was, it, it always went like this. I love duct tape, D-U-C-K. Then someone would post, hey, Dami, it's spelled D-U-C-T. And then someone would post, no, Duck is the brand. So D-U-C-K is right. D-U-C, you know, so it always, and then it would just go on and on and on. So it was really, uh, it was really funny, but it, it truly helped in a very authentic way build the awareness of our brands among that community. Um, yeah. So it was really neat. So that was, it was a little bit of, uh, what I would say, guided serendipity. You know, mm. we were smart enough to listen. We were smart enough to play into the trend that was happening online and the general interest. And then we just built upon that general interest um, and really linked our brand uh, into it. And if you know our brand icon with the little yellow duck, it's kind of uh, Disney cartoonish looking. Um, yeah. So it's very relatable. It's very accessible. And the thing about duct tape that's so cool for that market is that it doesn't have to be perfect. I don't mm -hmm. have to be perfect. It, I don't have to be hyper-skilled because there's something that's perfectly imperfect about when you use duct tape for something. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and that just makes it super accessible for everybody to try. Um, so that was really kind of the start of that. But, uh, you know, if I was to tell you that that portion of the business ended up out growing the size of some of our core commodity silver repair tape uh, for a number of years. Um, it, it really was very impactful to our business and, and growing our brand and making our brand matter um, in the market, especially anchored uh, 
with with our our market share. We were already mm-hmm. a dominant market share player in the silver oh, product. Yeah. I, I so can't to, even to think of a competitor. Involve it. Yeah, I can't even it's think a, of a competitor. I only know about you guys. <laughs> I, I don't even well, know if they exist. Well, that's that's good. I'm not. Well, I'm not going to give them any airtime here. So if you don't know about them, I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to no, ask you for them. I'm just going to say I've never. No, I don't, no, I don't it's even all know good. if anything other than duct tape exists because that's only that's the only thing I ever buy and that's the only thing I ever see. So, well, one of the as far things as I'm concerned, I, you're you're it. <laughs> Yeah. Well, we thank you for that. Um, so one of the, one of the things um, that I, I love to tell people uh, related to this whole story is that fast forward, you know, 12 years after I started with the company and I would get on a plane and I would tell somebody I work for the duct tape company. And the story that I would hear then is, oh, my God, my kids make everything out of that stuff. So. Mm-hmm you know, that that angle of the business had started to transcend the original core. It was still anchored in that father's favorite fix-all, but it had taken on this whole new meaning in this new tween teen demographic about what duct tape was. And I used to laugh one day, I was driving through my neighborhood and honest, I saw I saw a dad pushing his lawnmower up and he had pink Hello Kitty duct tape wrapped around the <laughs> handle of his lawnmower because he had repaired his lawnmower. And it made me laugh to think I'm like, you know, when I started, the kids would have to go down to the garage and steal dad's duct tape to go make something with it. And now dad needs to fix his lawnmower and he's running up to the kid's room to take the kid's duct tape to fix his lawnmower. So, so it's, uh, it's, I love it's it. Kind you know, you've won full, when you see something circle. like that. Yeah. 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 So it was, uh, it was really, it was really uh, a fun evolution for our business and a, a time to be involved. And we were launching all kinds of really cool. Um, I mean, when you think about tape, right, how much technology can you put into tape? Uh, but you can put a lot of technology into oh, yeah, tape, I trust bet. me. Um, and like our frog tape brand, Painter's Tape, uh, talk about changing the industry. So it's a patented product. There's a, a microabsorbent polymer that's on the edge of the tape that reacts with the water that's in your latex paint Mm. so when you when you paint it instantly swells on the edge of the tape and seals the edge of the tape so when you remove that tape you have a super sharp crisp line which again remember i said margin lives in emotion right so Mm -hmm. if you've ever painted and just when you thought you were done with your paint project, you took that tape off and then you saw paint bleed under the tape and a, a horrible line. You're so not annoying. done and you got to go back and clean it all up. Well, with frog tape, you don't have to do that. You just use that particular tape and the technology solves that problem for you. So anyway, it's it's just uh, it's it's been so much fun working with this company and the personality of our brands and and the and the fun nature of our products are relatable for a lot of people. So yeah, and- it's very cool because somebody who is entrepreneurial usually doesn't stick with a company, pun intended, for the, as long <laughs> right <laughs> for as long as as you would because you're going oh here there's all these opportunities. But if you, if you think about it, I mean you're basically doing a number of different jobs within the same company. So as long as they're cool and interesting and different and it, and it grows you, why not, right? Why not stay where you are? Well, and it's always trying to look at what's happening in the future too and, and yeah. then figure out where the growth's happening and how to adjust. I mean, we were, we were talking for a while watching that whole creative type evolve through technology and being able to play into that, um, watching the DIY trends and, and all the painting design trends and playing into that with this technology. So it's, um, you know, we continue to look at that, that future viewpoint and then try to decide how can, we, how can we deliver those solutions into where the market's going. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a that's a, a fun. Um, it's just a fun task. And if I was to tell you, you know, you talk about longevity in your career with a company, and people talk to me like, "Well, you've been with the same company for twenty years. Isn't that boring?" And I'm like, you know what? If I was to tell you that I've been able through duct tape to be involved in in television commercial production. We did a pop-up shop off of Times Square in New York City one year with all about color duct tape, uh, Project Runway. We were the the uh, non-traditional material challenge on a Project Runway episode. So <laughs> okay, there, I gotta I gotta find that episode and watch it because I think it's gonna be hilarious. <laughs> oh, it's 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 a uh, it's amazing. And the again the caliber of we have some of these dresses still in our office today. Um, the caliber of this craftsmanship, it's incredible what you can do with this product. Uh, so it's just, and then uh, it just popped up on my Facebook page. Uh, I guess it was five or six years ago. I had a chance to be on national television on CBS Sunday morning. They did a little whole take about duct tape couture and this whole phenomenon that had happened in a market. So I, you know, I even got to be on national news. So nice. For, for the right reasons, I got to be on national <laughs> news. Um, so, uh, so it was just really, it's been really fun. So. Very, very cool. So how, how, how does your, you, you were mentioning in your note that you wanted to talk a little bit about your sort of like life philosophies. How, how does that, how did that connect and play into your, your time at uh, your time at duct tape or, yeah, or tape so, or whatever, whatever your company's called. I, I don't even know what your company's called anymore. It's so, just so, duct tape to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So the, the corporate name is sure tape technologies. Okay. Okay. Um, and, and a little plug for my company. Cause they're awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, fifth generation family owned company out of Hickory, North Carolina. Nice. Uh, just, you know, it's one of the, one of the things that's helped with the longevity uh, of many people with our company is just the caliber and quality uh, of the owners uh, of all the, the executives. They're, they're nice. a phenomenal group of people. And we have a giant rock outside our office in Avon that's engraved. And it says, our people make the difference. Mm-hmm. And it, it's truly, uh, um, a deeply caring philosophy about the people that, that you choose to work with. Fantastic. And, uh, I love it. you know, we're not, we're not commodities to that business. We're not numbers. It's, it's really, um, it's, it's just that type of family environment. So I really cherish being part of it. Um, but your question was about my personal philosophy. So one of the things that I really, uh, love and stick to is this whole concept of Eastern. No pun intended. Yeah. (laughs) Eastern versus Western philosophy. Um, And, you know, in, in Western philosophy, there's or culture, there's, there's a lot of if then attached to your happiness. Mm -hmm. If I get this job, then I'll be happy. If I get that big house, if I get this particular car, if I get this promotion and, and the issue with all those things is that you're attaching your happiness to something that's scarce. There's only so many of those cars in the world. There's only so much of that house or so many of those jobs. And so we live in a world where we're anxious about our own happiness because I've got to compete with everybody else around me. Yeah. Not for the job, but for my happiness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so how am I going to treat the people around me if I'm competing with them for my very own fundamental happiness? Yeah. And, and the reality is that's, there's an alternative and the alternative can be shown to us in some of the Eastern philosophies where they discuss things like happiness is a choice. You can wake up every day and simply choose to be happy. 
Mm-hmm. And it sounds really strange, but it's true. It's a yeah. choice. Um, and then when you live in that mental perception of happiness and choosing to be happy, it's not attached to anything scarce. It's abundant. Yeah. Happiness is abundant. It's infinite. Love is abundant. It doesn't mean every day's unicorns and rainbows and sunshine. It's not. <laughs> but you can choose to be happy. And then what will happen is you will actually attract into your life all those things that fundamentally support your happiness. Yeah. And um, there's, a, there's a gentleman here in the Cleveland market. I saw him speak one time. He told this great story. Uh, and I'll, I'll send you the link after. Um, his name's Param. Uh, he, he was discussing the story. He said, so picture a BMW convertible in Northern New Jersey pulling into the driveway with these two teenage girls and the ones crying as they pull up in front of their mansion because they just came from the mall and they weren't able to get the latest iPhone that was just released because they were out <laughs> and their life is over. Of course. And then flip to the next picture, which is two kids in India on top of a garbage pile, smiling in the sunshine, playing with an empty can and a, and a piece of string. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And no, you're absolutely right. It, I mean, if you think about it, I mean, th- th- this discussion, I, have you seen those things where they talk about like, you know, your outward exp- appearance changes the way you feel. So if you want to feel more powerful, you know, you put your hands on your hips and you do the power move and, and the other studies, which say that, you know, no matter what happens to you, you always like level out at a certain level of happiness. Like if you, you win a lottery, you, you're happy for a while and it comes back down or you, something horrible happens to you. You're unhappy for a while, but then it comes back up because it, it's like, it, it tells me that it's not external things that no. dictate your level of happiness. It's, it's totally from, it, it totally comes from within, but we we've sort of for, we've forgotten that fact. Mm-hmm. It's it's very it's very true. And so one of the things that I'm really grateful for with um, with my company is they they provided me with the opportunity to truly be an entrepreneur. Um, so about ten years ago, actually, I know it was ten years ago this month. Uh, I had an oh, opportunity. Happy with anniversary my, with my wife. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> with my with uh, with my wife to open an indoor cycling studio here in the Cleveland market uh, that was dedicated to indoor cycling that is rhythm based and all about teaching you a growth mindset, basically while you're having a dance party on the bike. And nice. oh yeah, oh yeah. By the way, the cardio workout happens but it's really more about working from the inside out. Mm-hmm. And hence the name of the studio is called Cycle. It's P-S-Y-C-L-E <laughs> um, is, is the I is love the it. Brand. Did you come up with the name or did your wife come up with the name? No, no, I, we, we, uh, we came up with that. It was a, it was a discussion. So uh, we'll, nice. we'll, share, we'll share credit on it because the whole thing's a labor of love. I love um, it. But the, uh, you know, the, the basic premise of it was to give people the opportunity to step into that atmosphere and work on themselves from the inside out. And when you, when you think about what I was talking about, about abundance versus scarcity, one of the things that we're so proud about, about the community is, is that you step in and the people on the bikes next to you, they're not competing with you. They're actually trying to lift you up and they want to see you be successful. They Mm -hmm. want to see you succeed. And they know that their success is not dependent on beating you. If you succeed, they can still succeed. And if they succeed, they're trying to lift you up with them because that enhances their own feelings and emotions of happiness and success. So, you know, it's 
it's just uh, it's just really interesting how many people I've watched over this decade um, transform their entire lives by stepping into that room and getting to that very edge, their, their edge of their physical capacity, and then realizing that it's just a choice to take one step past it. And in that one step, everything changes. They physically grow, they mentally grow because they realize they're stronger than they thought they were. And once you practice and realize that it's about the process and that you just can't do it yet, but if you practice and practice, it will come to you, you'll mm -hmm. get there. And then you start to enjoy the journey of the process and it becomes its own reward. Then all of a sudden it translates outside of that room of bikes. And it starts to have implications in a positive way on your personal relationships, on your marriage, on your work life, your employee, you know, it's when you believe, fundamentally believe you deserve it and you live from that place of happiness, your life starts to change all around you in those ways in very, very powerful, fundamental ways. Um, but it starts with that recognition of that difference of philosophy that you wake up and you have a choice. And today I'm gonna choose to be happy. So we, we also express, you know, there's light and dark in every day. And mm -hmm. what you choose to look at is what defines your day. So you can choose to look at the light and that, you know, that's what your day was. Your day was light because you saw the things that were light about your day. And conversely, someone who had the exact same day, but looked at all the dark things, they had a pretty lousy day, didn't they? Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah exactly. But it's still the same day. Yeah. Uh, so you choose your experience based on what you want to pull out of your environment and the meaning you assign to it within your own mind. Yeah. It's like, oh. um, I mean, um, Anthony Robbins made this metaphor. He's talked about uh, your memories are like a jukebox, right? You can either decide to play certain good memories over and over again, or you can play the bad memories over and over again, but it's, it's up to you to decide what memory you want to replay. So if you want to make yourself feel bad, all the time you just replay all these horrible memories that's and exactly it's it's right. back to, it's back to your choice again so that's really cool so i'm really curious about how that works right because in a typical you know soul cycle type of thing you get in there and you know everybody's fighting like trying to compete with each other H how do you do that like direct like actually in in class like with somebody's coming from so some other uh service or some other company and they're, they're expecting competition and you don't give them that. I mean, how does that work in, re, in, in practicality? You, you know what? In pragmatic terms, it's a matter of the instructor saying, you know, this is not a race. This is not a competition. We're not, we're not fake bike racing here. You know, you're in a, you're in a dark room and a bike That's going what everybody nowhere. else does though. So that, <laughs> well, and it's, and, and, and you know what I say this, that's okay. That's okay. Because there are certain people that prefer that environment. There are certain people that their minds gravitate towards that. And that's what enables them to get what they're trying to get out of class. So, you know, one of the key things I'm always talking to people about is differentiation. Um, we don't need to be the best at what we do. We want to be the only ones that do what we do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, you know, there's a, there is a place for everyone and they're going to find the place that fits what they're looking for. Um, but fundamentally we do, you know, we explicitly say our bikes, I, here's a great example. I don't know if you've ever practiced, have you ever practiced yoga? Mm -hmm. 
Absolutely. Okay. So have you ever gone into a yoga class and seen a leaderboard up on the front and been told to out yoga the person next to you with a number <laughs> assigned to it? And no, never. Uh, I, never. I'm, God, my... <laughs> My Shavasana is better than yours. I got to, I got to breathe a little hard. You know, no, it doesn't work that way. Right. So it's just a different type of, See, now you made me think of a new issue. Can we have competitive <laughs> yoga? Competitive like yoga. I, I'm, I'm quite certain someone's tried to create that because there are certain mentalities that, that gravitate towards that. And that's, and that's okay. It's not right or wrong. It yeah. just is. So mm-hmm. um, it's just not what we do. So our yeah. bikes are intentionally, old school chain bikes with a weighted flywheel. They're gritty nice. and you feel them and it's a great <laughs> it's it. an experience. And, and we do that by intention. Um, and it's disconnected because guess what? We go to work every day and our lives are so measured and so connected. This is, this is your 60 minutes to turn off your watch, turn off your phone, be there for you and actually think because no matter how hard you try, your, your Fitbit is never going to read happy. Yeah. Yeah. So if unless you, you can hack it and program it, unless you can hack it and program it. Right. But you know, if you, again, if you attach success of that ride to a number on your Fitbit, you're setting yourself up to fail because yep. there's only, much, only so much time and output. And I'm not saying that there's not value in measuring things ongoing so that you understand whether you're making progress or not, but there's a lot, a tremendous amount of value that can be unlocked for most of us by spending that 60 minutes disconnecting. Mm-hmm. And no, I love it. What's uh, happening uh, here. I want to like travel there and check it out because I think it's really cool. Are you planning on expanding to other locations or <laughs> I, I, I get that? I get that a lot. And we, we're not offering classes. When are you online. starting a cycle in San Jose? <laughs> so so we'll, uh, we'll get you to Cleveland someday and get you in a class. I promise you won't be disappointed. Um, but it's but there's actually it's the reason why our website's called cycletherapy.com is oh. it's all about that working from the inside out. Um, oh my god, I love it. This but, is great. But I want to. But I. But I. But I bring up all that because I take that entrepreneur set, entrepreneurial mindset, that growth mindset, and I apply those same teachings to my teams at work. I, I work with the people in my office about that, and I bring that energy, positive energy, and mentality to duct tape you know i love that and, that's so that's so cool everybody everybody wins and i and i really um i'm so grateful to the owners of our company for giving me this opportunity because not every company would allow people to do that and oh yeah i you know now 10 years later the side hustle as everybody calls it i think i i think i read statistically that two-thirds of american corporate workers have some type of side hustle oh yeah so i i because it's it. usually it's usually the, the their job is not the thing that they love it's their side hustles that they love but they can never make enough money at the side hustle so right there's, right. there's always an imbalance there unfortunately well i, I it's uh you know, I think the the benefit for my wife and I, she works in insurance uh, full time. She's a great career working for her company, and it, the studio, the roots of it. I think part of why it works is because we don't have to pay our bills with it, and we use mm-hmm. it as a mechanism to give back to the community. So, um, you know, and we can be very generous with that because we don't, you know, because of that situation. So that gives us something that's a little bit different in our market. Um, so we're, we're grateful. We're grateful to our clients. Our, our mantra is rock, ride, love. The rock is obvious. The ride's obvious and the loves the community and that nurturing space that makes it safe for people to come in and literally 
transform their lives. So, so I'm, Fantastic. I'm, I'm a little passionate about that portion of my life, but I'll tell you what, I'm equally passionate about duct tape because I, I love the product. I love what we do. And I think, you know, I, I tell people inside our company all the time. I'm like, how many people do you think had their weekend saved because of our product? How many, yeah. how many kids soccer games were saved? How many, how many moms got home because they had a roll of duct tape in the car with the kids in the car and they were able to fix something to get them home or, or, or their family vacation was saved. So there, there's a real sense of genuine purpose and satisfaction to be had when you deal with a product like that. Um, so it's, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to live from that perspective of gratitude and, and purpose in, in all facets of my life. So. I love it. You know, I know you're not a superhero, but the stuff is like a superhero, basically. <laughs> we can do so much. I love it. Hey, tr trust me. I, I say all this stuff. And if anybody out there has actually figured it out, please give me a call and let me know. All right. <laughs> I'd love to love talk it. to you. Um, I love it. Yeah. Okay. So now it's time to think like a futurist. It's the year 2031. It's 10 years from now. Where will you be? Where will your company be? Where will, um, what's it called? Cycle? Cycle. Yeah. yeah. Cycle. Where will Cycle be in 10 years? Um, so, you know, I think one of the things, where will I be in 10 years? You know, I, I really hope I'm still here as part of this company, um, making a difference, uh, for as many people as I can, uh, both mm -hmm. inside our company and out. Um, I just, I love our products. I love where we're going. Uh, I think the evolution of technology, we're working on some things to link tape with digital things. And uh, I can't be more specific than that at the moment, but it's really exciting when you start to see the application of technology with these everyday physical products and uh, the things you can do with them are super cool. Um, so 10 years from now, I hope that that's a big part of our business that's been realized. And, uh, you know, I think uh, the markets in general, geez, I was, I was just telling somebody, I finished grad school in, in 1998 and Google was in its infancy. And I was thinking about how the fact that we barely used search engines and the internet to get through grad school mm -hmm. didn't have, you know, we didn't have iPhones to do all that. No. <laughs> and, and it's just been a, you know, 10 years later, all that stuff existed, right? Um, so I think as I look 10 years in the future, geez, you know, I, I hope I don't have to drive anymore. I really hope that most of the vehicles are autonomous, not because I don't love driving, but uh, I, I think that our time can be infinitely more productive in those moments. Um, and I think most people are probably on their phone instead of driving anyway, right now, based yeah, on my exactly. observations. So it'll be safer for all of us. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the sooner I, we can get human drivers off the road, the better, if you the ask better, me. <laughs> the better. But I, I think that that technology, I think we're going to find that there's going to be a real balance. Uh, you know, the, one of the lessons learned from this year is that we can do really, really hard things as a community, uh, mm -hmm. as businesses, um, as citizens. And coming through, I hope we take that into more hybrid environments with more flexibility and more inclusion for all of us to really recognize and understand that there's uh, the, the expressions equifinality, multiple paths to the same end. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to look like what we, you know, what we might have concretely put in our minds. It had to be like, you have to be in the office five days a week in order to run this business. No, you don't. Yeah. Says who? Yeah. And we just We've proven proved, it. We've we just proven proved it. that you don't have to. Now, yeah. we've also learned that, you know what, 100% hybrid environments present a lot of new challenges. So mm -hmm. I think 10 years from now, the business models are going to be really, really exciting and cool and flexible 
um, in ways that we can't even imagine right now because technology is going to continue to evolve. And so as we work in a more global environment with global teams that, geez, you know, what, what is the t- what's time going to look like? Mm-hmm. It, is our current definition in as little as 10 years of what the work week is? That really has an opportunity right now to radically evolve. Oh yeah, what our definition of the work way. So I think that's one facet where our lives. This, it's not, it's not work life balance. It's work life blending. Mm-hmm. And so, what is your week to week calendar going to start to look like as we get into these non traditional work weeks and non traditional environments? Um, I don't have the answer for that. If I did, I'd probably be working on something right now to solve it. But I will tell you that I think it's really exciting to keep an eye on the technologies that are enabling that type of flexibility. Um, even even as we all want to work remotely, I mean, geez, wouldn't you love to be in Hawaii for three months a year and and if oh you yeah, go out absolutely. There and and then if you think Hawaii about that, even remote. the concept of a week is is I, gone, right? Because it's like you can decide to work whatever days you want, you know, in between whatever you want. And there's no, the monolithicness has disappeared because work is now little blocks that you can fit in between your leisure and your time. So if it breaks up like that, I think it's all all in the the best interests of humanity because we get to spend time on what we want to in the time we need to, as opposed to being forced to go from here, the point A to point B. And especially if we could kill commuting, I think we'd be, we'd be golden. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, you know, I think it's, there's two facets to killing commuting mm-hmm. number one autonomous vehicles because that time now becomes productive time yeah number two electric vehicles where it's replenishable power so it's far less impactful on our environments to be doing that commuting and these are these things are definitely going to happen i mean that's yeah. that's happening now um mm-hmm. And then this hybrid work environment, which is going to reduce the overall stress associated with commuting, number one, because your car is going to do it and less people will be doing it because of these hybrid environments. Um, so I, th- I think it's going to be uh, I think it's going to be really exciting. I mean, it's, it's you know, may you live in interesting times. We certainly do. Um, lots, lots of lots of difficult things from this last couple of years, but lots of opportunities for us to take those lessons and, and truly move forward in, in new and innovative ways. So, yeah, what I want to see is building your own tiny home using duct tape and some types of boards, because, you know, the, the housing crisis is crazy, especially in places like this, where it's super expensive. I mean, I, you think it'd be better, it'd be easier to create something small and cheap that people, you could house people in. And I see duct tape as part of that dream somehow. I don't know how you would do it, but maybe you have well, like think- super large duct tape or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, there's, believe it, I mean, the, the idea of pre-manufactured housing is absolutely a growth area among construction. Mm-hmm. Now, part of that's tied to, you know, the, the issues associated with contractor trades in general, having yep. difficulty attracting people. But guess what? Those trades can't be replaced by an algorithm. So I think that's certain things that our economy is going to evolve into as certain work dynamics shift as a result of, of AI implications on more of the white collar workforce, how some of those things are going to shift around. Um, plus, when you talk about global communities and global opportunities, you know, it could be 10 years from now, uh, you're working for an Indian company in the middle of the night, flowing through everything in a non-traditional way that couldn't 
be facilitated even with today's technology in the same yeah. way. Yeah. But I could be living or, well, actually, hopefully continuing to live because Cleveland is such a, you know, Cleveland is underrated as a city. Mm-hmm. Um, the cost of living here is amazing for uh, if just look up real estate yeah. and you'll know why I relocate. I love Boston, but when I relocated to Cleveland from Boston and I could buy a giant house for the same price as a starter mm-hmm. home mm-hmm. there, it's, it's a little, it's, and be, you know, close to one of the, yep. the largest sources of uh, clean, fresh water in our country. It's, it's yep. just, a, it's amazing. Well, that's the other thing but, that's happening. That's really interesting is that all these people who are living in these sort of coastal cities in huge population centers where it's super expensive are now starting to move into other places in the country that are less expensive, like, like Cleveland. And they're kind of revitalizing and changing those communities. Right. I mean, it's like the whole country is like leveling out instead of having too many people in one place, they're all, they're leveling up because they can, because they can work it from yes. anywhere now. For sure. For sure. And I think one of the, the, you know, one of the interesting things is if, you know, if I'm in the San Francisco market right now being paid a, a wage that's consistent with the San Francisco market and I go remote, well, how long is it going to take that company before they realize that if I'm living in Cleveland and my cost of living is 40% lower than San Francisco, why am I paying you a San Francisco rate? I can actually now attract talent into my company that's in other geographies at a much lower cost. Exactly. But then that's also going to start to take on a global dynamic over the next five years too, because mm-hmm. well, if I'm going to pay you less to work for my company in Cleveland, why wouldn't I pay even less to go to some developing nation that has a educated group that could do this for a fraction of what I'm even going to pay you. And that's the, that's going to become the transient nature of our workforce on a global basis, or at least a facet of it, you know, maybe not within the next 10 years, but certainly over the remainder of my lifetime, I expect to see that. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But I can, I can totally see that sort of thing happening where, you know, suddenly you're not, you're no longer having to work for a U.S. company. You could be working for an African company or a Russian company or whatever. It's like the, the, you know, the employees and the employers are going to be, you know, geographically dispersed all over the world. And most people will probably just become gig workers, right? I've got, I've got five jobs, but that's not a thing you have to look down on me for. It's a, you know, oh, you have five jobs. That's great. Right. Because you, right. you have the all these different sources of income. So you don't have to worry about one company going under due to some kind of disruption because you've got these other sources coming in. And I think, you know, that's going to be back on the worker's head to be responsible and be able to sort of juggle all these jobs at the same time instead of having that one monolithic thing that people are working for. Right. And think about what the dynamics, the, the ripple effect of the dynamics and things like health insurance would be yep. if I don't have a main company covering my health insurance and, you know, wh- how is all that going to evolve uh, in our country? I think it's, it's going to be fascinating. I think it'll be a long time before I still believe that hyper engaged workers that are really part of your company culture uh, and believe in the products and believe in the company are your most effective and impactful resources. And mm-hmm. they're the ones that stay and continue to contribute that value. Um, and, and it, I don't know as we get into these hybrid environments, well, I think you need some type of hybrid environment in order to facilitate that type of culture. I just, I don't know if I've seen, or maybe it has yet to be created a great way to do that remotely. Um, there's Maybe there's some good examples out there. I'd be happy to read about them. I, I love them. It's an right. interesting area to spend time in. Um, but, uh, you know, I... 
I don't know how how would you create that? How would you feel attached to that company, um, and get that sense of purpose contributing to a bigger organization if you're just doing little gig pieces? But um, well, I think I think but that there's, a, there's an that upside too. to that because you're bringing you're bringing other insights into the company. It's kind of like having a, a turning all of your employees into consultants. Right, so they're they're working for you most of the time, full time. But then they can bring in ideas from other sources because they're interacting with other places, things that they wouldn't normally do if they were, you know, working for you full time. So there's lots of, I mean, there's lots of different of these work models that I think we're going to be experimenting with because we're trying. Now, I love the fact. See, on the one hand, you know, COVID was horrible, but on the other hand, it kicked off a, sort of like this wave of disruption and new thinking. Which unfortunately, it seems like we have to have some kind of a crisis to move us move us forward in things. Well, there, there's always a crisis, right? Always. <laughs> so if it's, you're, it's one after the other, right? Right. Well, and it goes back to the philosophy that we discussed earlier, right? If you're yeah. waiting for stability and a lack of crisis to create happiness in your life, you're never going to be happy because there's yeah. always yeah. the next thing. Um, yeah. And I, and I think that's part of why everybody's so anxious these days, right? Because we're all, uh, you know what, find find stability within yourself that allows you to be calm in the face of all the crisis, the external crisis. Exactly. And that helps you navigate that a lot. Um, exactly. And well, again, to, if anybody I, out there has figured that out, please let me know. <laughs> I'd love to know how to do it. No, but, I, uh, I like your, your terminology. I always say with somebody, I always laugh when somebody says, oh, you know, we're, then we'll get to steady state. And I'm like, there's no such thing as steady state anymore, unless it's in your head, right? Unless you, you have it, you've internalized steady state, but outside, you know, everything changes all the time. And that's, that's the nature of life, right? That's the nature of life. And you have to have to embrace that because. And technology. It is, it is technology and connectivity, the pace of life is going to continue to exponentially increase. Yeah, so absolutely. It's part of why we're, we're going to look back on today and the pace, which we think is so rigorous today. And, you know, part of the 10 year from now question, we're going to think, God, we wish we had this pace again. We wish yeah. we had another year to all just sit inside and be connected again. Exactly. Um, exactly. You know, That's you know, for sure going to happen. That quiet time when I say connected, it's um, yeah. so it'll, it'll be, it'll be really interesting. Um, it'll be really interesting to see that evolve. I'm, I'm super excited for it. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Well, thanks so much. This has been fantastic. So if somebody wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way? Um, probably my work email, which is s summers at suretape.com. That's S H U R T A P E.com. Uh, or find me on LinkedIn. Okay, Definitely. very cool. I'll put I'll pull all the contact information in the show notes. So if anybody wants to get in touch with you, it was great talking with you. And I can't wait to visit Cleveland so I can try try cycle. I, Make I just sure you like connect the, with the, me. We'll, the mental we'll picture in. I have of it is like phenomenal. So I can't wait to give it a try. And and when you come here, I'll give you a tour of the duct tape capital of the world. Uh, oh, I'd love to see Avon, that too. Ohio. So you get to see the world headquarters of duct tape. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much. It was great talking. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye.